You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. <laughs> oh man, what car did the disciples drive? Honda Accord. The Bible says they were all in one accord. Uh, <laughs> Did you know that Jesus was a zoologist? He healed the leopards. <laughs> oh, too, too funny. Hey, listen, I, I heard, I asked someone the other day, hey, do you know what God's name is? I said, yeah, of course I do. Our Father who art in heaven, Howard be thy name. <laughs> it's obviously, he's called Howard, right? <laughs> Okay, enough of the dad jokes. Welcome to church. So good to be here. And uh, oh man, I'm just, I'm chuckling to myself here. (laughs) It's a good way to start it. Dad jokes are the worst and the best. And uh, you know, today though, in in our message, it's not going to be just a message totally focused in and narrowing in on fathers the entire Sunday. In fact, we've been in a series called A New Humanity. Uh, And we've been talking about uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, one of the greatest messages ever given, uh, and uh, it still affects us to this day. Many people live by it, Uh, and I even was reading this week, even leaders like Gandhi or Tolstoy said this is one of the greatest moral visions given to humankind. Uh, This message has influenced laws, it has influenced ethics. And really transformed and changed the way that the world thought about what was good and right and true. And so for a series uh, and for a season here, we've been walking through this sermon. And don't kill people, but I say you can't even hate people. What? He says, you know, you've heard it before. It says, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, don't even look at a person lustfully. He says, you know, you've heard it be said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Really? The people who have opposed me? And what's going to happen is we start to hear this moral vision that Jesus is casting for society. We're going to say, man, we could never live up to that. The standard is too high. Jesus is moving from outward behaviors to inward realities. And I think the thing that we can all realize is true is that when we start to look inward at times, although yes, there is goodness, yes, there is truth, there's also a side of us at times that struggles to choose that which is good and right and true. And and, and, And this is why people have struggled with this message. In fact, uh, the the Sermon on the Mount was submitted to a class in Virginia, a college class, and they asked people to write uh, an essay about what they thought about the Sermon on the Mount. And here's some of the things they said. The first thing is, one girl said, there's an old saying that you shouldn't believe everything you read, and it applies in this case. Another said, I did not like the essay, The Sermon on the Mount. It was hard to read, and it made me feel like I had to be perfect, and no one is. Another said, after reading all of this, all I can say is this religious stuff is a complete hoax. 
Or as my daughter said, okay, this was really funny. The first week when I was preparing, if you remember the very first message, I just read the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount. I basically, I, for lack of a better word, performed it for you as if, I, as if you were hearing it from Jesus himself. And I was practicing and read it out loud in my living room. Meanwhile, my daughter was sitting there watching, you know, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Uh, and I'm reading this out loud, kind of practicing. And as soon as I was done, she exclaimed, oh, come on, right? <laughs> and maybe it's, it's a very classic kind of Emmy phrase that she says all the time. And maybe you perhaps yourself, as you read through the Sermon on the Mount, said, man, oh, come on. Really? How are we going to do that? One of the things we are committed to as a church is this. We're committed to sharing good news. In a world that is full of bad news, in a world that uh, it just feels like every day a notification comes up on our phone telling us something horrible that has taken place. We want, when you show up here on Sundays, to walk away hearing good news. And I believe that our text today, although it doesn't change the reality of what Jesus has said, and, and the standard in which he has called us to, I believe that this text here sets up all of the rest of it. This text right here, there is what I would like to call undercover good news. Undercover good news. Because on first reading, you're going to go, oh man, that seems unattainable. But within this text, I believe it changes the way that we view the rest of which Jesus is going to tell us in the coming weeks. And it is so important, so crucial. Are you ready for it? Okay, so here's what we're going to do. If, if you're willing, if you're able, um, can we stand in honor of God's word? We believe these are some of the most important words you're going to hear today. And they are found in Matthew chapter 5. We'll start in verse 1 and 2 because it sets it up. And then we'll jump to 17. Are you ready? Okay, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1 and 2 and jumping to 25. Let's read this together. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside in Galilee and sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Verse 17. Do not think I've come to abolish the law and prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. God, I pray that you would teach us what this means today. Help us by your Holy Spirit to see what I believe is incredibly good news behind the lines of this message. I pray these things in your name. Everyone said, amen. Why does this passage help us deal with the rest of everything Jesus is about to say? Why does this passage help us as we begin to hear a list of seemingly unattainable newish commandments? It's because this passage, as I said, contains undercover good news. And I say undercover because upon first reading, you might feel burdened, heavy, discouraged, 
in light of your failure to live up to it. He says, not a stroke of the pen of the law will be removed. Anyone who sets aside one of these commandments is least. Unless your righteousness exceeds the Pharisees, the most religious types in the land of that day and that time, you will not enter the kingdom. This doesn't seem like good news. But I want to show you something. In verse 17, what we see right away is this. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish, destroy, get rid of the law and prophets, but instead I have come to fulfill them. Fulfill them. Jesus is letting us in on his mission. I have come to fulfill all the demands, commands, and perfect plans of the law and the prophets. They are fulfilled in me. He's saying all of this, okay, most of the Bible is the Old Testament. (laughs) Saying all of this right here, fulfilled in me. I've taken care of all of it. I've lived up to all of it. It is fulfilled in me. And this is where the good news begins because the laws, and I want to start with that, the laws and the prophets, helping us understand what he means by that, were a lot In fact, in ancient Israel, in ancient Judaism, they had three types of laws. They had moral laws, and and moral laws, these were laws that provided guidelines for ethics and moral conduct. They emphasized principles such as justice, compassion, honesty, respect for others. Moral laws aimed to promote fairness and righteousness in personal and societal interactions. But there wasn't just the moral laws, the do's and don'ts. They also had ceremonial laws. Or ritual laws. And these were rituals focused on religious ceremonies, worship practices, symbolic rituals. They prescribed specific actions, procedures to be followed during religious observances, including sacrifices and purification rituals and Sabbath regulations. And these aimed to connect individuals with God and foster a sense of holiness amongst the people. And if you're not exhausted yet, just hearing that, (laughs) They also had civil laws. And the civil laws were laws that governed the social and legal aspects of the ancient society. They encompassed a wide range of regulations related to issues such as property rights and contracts, marriage, divorce, inheritance, criminal justice. Civil laws aimed to establish justice and orderly society, providing rules for resolving disputes and maintaining harmony. And Jesus says, I have not come to abolish all of this, but to fulfill it. But to fulfill it. As I said earlier, Jesus is letting us in on his mission. He has come to fulfill all of the demands, commands, and plans that are in the law and prophets. He has come to fulfill it. Everything from Genesis to Malachi in Jesus is fulfilled. Fulfilled meaning this. Complete, accomplished, satisfied, filled full. All of it, all of the requirements. He is saying, in me, you have finally found a person who can do it, who can attain it, who has seen it through. This is why this is good news. He has come to fulfill the laws, but he also says, the prophets, the prophets, this is really interesting. In the Old Testament, what you'll find is there's, there's a number of different uh, prophets. Jeremiah, Isaiah, etc. And um, they, they, 
speak to these different prophecies, lots of prophecies about the future, about things that would take place, prophetic words to Israel, but they also speak to prophetic words about the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who would be the king of the Jews. And if you were to scour all of the Old Testament, what you would find is this. You would find that there was uh, at least 456 Old Testament verses referring to the Messiah and the times in which he would live. Conservatively, with everything recorded in the Gospels, here's what we found, is that Jesus in his life fulfilled at least 324. That is just what we have recorded, right? Now, here's the really interesting thing, is that if, if you were to begin to figure out the mathematical odds, by the way, do you guys remember the, the game? Maybe this is like more a Gen Z millennial thing, but they'd be like, what are the odds, right? What are the odds that you will eat that ketchup packet, right? This would happen to me all the time as a youth pastor. Hey, Cam, what, what are the odds that you're going to, you'll chug five Cokes, right? And I'll be like, uh, one in seven. Then you go, one, two, three, four. And if you both say the same number, right, then you got to do what they're going to do. Eli said to me the other day, we were playing a board game the other day, uh, and it, what was it called? It was called do- something about dogs. Do you remember? Yeah, 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 exactly. And every time, like, someone, you know, like, wronged you, you had to say, you dirty dog. And Eli said to me the other day, he's like, what are the odds you say, you dirty dog, in a sermon? And I wanted to say, like, one and one, because I'm doing it today, but... <laughs> So I, I think I said one in seven. It didn't work out, but I did it for you anyway, Eli, right? So, so here's the question. What are the odds that Jesus would actually fulfill all of the prophetic prophecies? Like what are the odds that he would fulfill even 324 of them? Well, it's interesting. There is a, uh, a mathematician His name is Peter Stoner, and he published the probabilities of one person fulfilling even a small number of prophecies. He chose the number 48. I don't know why. And he said that the odds of one person fulfilling all of the prophecies is 10 to the power of 157. Asterisks. Now, for those of you who are into math, you're like, wow. For me, I'm like, that's a number, right? But... But supposedly, this is a very powerful number, okay? Accountants, all the accountants are like, wow, right? It's like, that's amazing. And, and it was funny. I, I was like, okay, that's just 48. And then I, I, so then I asked ChatGBT. I'm like, ChatGBT, what are the odds of Jesus fulfilling 324 prophecies? And then it gave me some really PC answer. It was like, you know, and then I was like, okay, fine. So then I wrote in there, I was like, okay, what are the odds of one person fulfilling 324 things uh, uh, that were written about them? And then it was like, it, it basically said, uh, you know, in English, it was like, the odds are practically zero, right? And I was like, what? This is amazing. So Jesus said, he said, for all intensive purposes, I said, explain it to someone who doesn't understand math. I think that's why it said, basically, (laughs) the odds are practically zero, is what he told me. Here's what this is saying. Jesus has come to fulfill all of the law, all of the requirements of the law, but he has also come to fulfill all of the prophecies, the prophecies that were written about him, Things that included things he would do, things he would say, and even things that were far beyond his control, like the nature of his death and where he would be born. This is why this is good news. 
Because Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. And if you were a Jew in the first century, hearing this sermon for the very first time, and you heard that Jesus said, I have fulfilled the law, you, it, it, your mind would have been completely blown. This is everything of the law? Yep. All of the prophets, like everything they wrote, look at them, right? All of it fulfilled. Yeah, that's me, right? It, it seems incredibly arrogant. But actually in reading this statement, you're seeing two things. You're seeing a messianic claim. Jesus in saying this is saying, I am the one. I am the guy who will come and set all things right. The king you have been waiting for. The one who will take you out from the unjust rulers of Rome. The one who will restore the kingdom of Israel. The one who will set up a new kingdom. It's me. And, but here's the other thing. It's also a divine claim. Because nobody in their right mind truly knew deep down inside that they could fulfill all of the law. This is next to impossible. But Jesus says, I am the fulfillment. Why is this good news for us this morning? This is good news because if Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets, you don't have to. You don't have to. If Jesus fulfilled all that was required from the law and prophets, you do not have to. And what that means for you and me, for those of us who place our faith in Jesus is this, is that our faith is not just a long list of rules and regulations and burdens for us to carry, but Jesus said, I have carried it for you. Or as Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, there is no, now no condemnation. See, formerly the law would condemn us. When we hear the law and we know we've broken it, we, it feels condemning. But in Romans chapter 8, Paul says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those of you who are in Jesus. Because you belong to him. The power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of our weakness. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a human form. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice. That's why he died on the cross. He did this so that the just requirement of the law will be fully satisfied for us. Jesus is the fulfillment. And because Jesus fulfilled it, you don't have to. This is where Christianity moves out of religion and into a life-giving faith. Religion is a set of rules and conditions. Man's desperate attempt to work their way up the ladder to achieve salvation and achieve knowing God and achieve getting to heaven. But Jesus, through God's plan, invites us into faith that simply through believing in him, trusting in him, that all of the requirements of the law would be satisfied. This is why this is good news this morning. And it's just hidden in this one word, fulfilled. Fulfilled. This is what Jesus did when we couldn't do it, when we failed to do it. He went on our behalf. To use a little bit of a, 
a Father's Day illustration. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not, this isn't like God just let us off the hook. He wasn't just like, ah, you know, I don't care if you follow these rules anymore. I don't, I, you know, I don't really think they matter. I've, I've kind of changed my mind about what is right and wrong, good and true. You know, whatever. You can all just come in. This isn't what has happened. It's not like a dad who's just exhausted, right? Like I've asked my kid to do the dishes 20 times. I'm just going to do it, right? Or, you know, attack to cut the lawn. Why has he not done it? Oh, whatever. I'll just cut. Here, the, what, what has happened is this, is that dad has asked us to do the dishes or cut the lawn or take the dog for a walk and rather than just him doing it himself, he comes home and it's all done. It's all done. And we get the credit. He goes, wow, great job. I can't believe it. You cut the lawn, you walked the dog, you did the dishes, all of these kind of things. And yet we are sitting there completely like, I don't know who did it, right? Like, you know, Jesus, this is, this is what happened. It's not that these things were not done. It's not that these things were not fulfilled. It was just that someone else stepped out in our place and did it for us. And we just get to take credit for their account. This is the mind-blowing, remarkable news of the gospel. That Jesus did it for us so our Father would be pleased with us. Incredible. Incredible. But there's a second thing here. There's a danger there's a danger for us because of this really good news to slip into what they used to call antinomianism. And the antinomian belief is this, because Jesus has fulfilled all of the laws, we no longer have to live morally. But this is not what I'm promoting. It's certainly not what Jesus is promoting. He's not promoting a lawless people. He has made us right with God, but he has still called us to live a life that honors him. Not as a way of trying to earn our salvation or earn his affections or earn his good, you know, well done. But actually as a way of saying thank you, as a way of aligning ourselves with him. You know, the truth of the matter is this. If all of us are honest, we're not very good at defining good and evil for ourselves. I know our culture has said, yes, you, individual, you are the center of all that is good and right and true. You get to decide whatever is true for you is true for you, and whatever is true for them is true. But what about when your truths collide? You say, this is true, and this person says, this is true. It, 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 it no longer works. That's chaos. And so what Jesus is doing is he's saying, I have covered all of the law for you. I've covered all the law for you. And now out of a response, would you now do good works? Out of a response, would you begin to align yourself with me? Out of a response, he says, not a dot or an iota, not even a stroke of the pen will be removed from the law. So Jesus hasn't come to wash away the law the law had more than one purpose. The purpose wasn't just to make us right with God, but it was to teach us how we could love him and to love others. To love him and to love others. You see, although Jesus has fulfilled the law, we are still called to live in light of the law of love. It's a mouthful. You're still called to love God and to love others. 
Now listen though, this is a, a, lot, of, a lot of laws. Just, just Leviticus, right? Um, it's, it's a lot. So Jesus did something really helpful for us. He summarized the law in a really simple way for us to, to understand and comprehend. Here's what he said. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 to 40, he said, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all, depend all of the law and prophets. We are still called to love God and love others. And to make a really cheesy dad joke kind of point, we're still called to love God and love others. The law is not extinct. The law, in fact, is the way in which we can know how to love God and how to love others. It actually is a great help to us. I think of, of uh, the words in the psalm, where it's Psalm 119, he says, How I love your law and meditate on it day and night. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser. I have more insight than all my teachers because I meditate on your statues. I have more understanding than the elders because I obey your precepts. I have kept my feet from every evil path because I've obeyed your word. I have not departed from your laws for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. You see, the law, the law to love God and to love others is actually, it helps us from, from getting into trouble. It stops us from walking the path of evil. It teaches us wisdom. So this is why Jesus says, I have not removed a dot and iota, not a stroke of the pen from the law. The law is still here to help us, to guide us, so that we can know what it means to love God and to love others. Jesus said to his disciples, some of his last words, love one another as I have loved you. Love one another. It is by your love that the world will know you're my disciples. Paul says, live a life filled with love following the examples of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. And in Romans chapter 13, verse 8, Paul says this, Owe nothing to anyone except your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of the law. For the commandments say you shall not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirement of God's law. Paul is saying, and Jesus is saying, is that this isn't just some outdated historical document, but within here we find the words of life and a light to our path, to know how we should live and where we should go. In the New Testament, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, over the next few weeks, he begins to help us to understand it even deeper even deeper than before. Finally, Jesus says in, in verse 20, and this is where it gets confusing. He says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And many of you, upon hearing that, said, All right, well, I'm out. See you later, right? It's, it's like, how am I going to attain the righteousness of the Pharisees 
and the religious leaders. The Pharisees were the, the most religious of society, trying to follow the law to a T. They created laws on top of laws on top of laws so that they wouldn't break the original laws. In fact, by the end, they had 613 laws, which was 603, more than the Ten Commandments given to them. And all of these were to keep them from breaking the law. Their entire life was this obsession with following the law to a T. And then Jesus drops this bomb on us on Father's Day of all days. Come on, right? If your righteousness does not exceed that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Friends, I am out, all right? You are out. We are all out on plain reading of this. As we learn, as we walk through the Beatitudes, this word righteousness, we have to read it within its context and within a Jewish mindset the word righteousness was not just moral, legal, right, and wrong, but it was actually right-relatedness. It was right relationship. So Jesus saying, unless, so I tell you, unless your right-relatedness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teacher's laws, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And this is where relief comes in. Because the Pharisees were right on the outside, but dead on the inside. Jesus criticized them saying they are whitewashed tombs, nice and white on the outside, but on the inside you are rotting flesh and bones. They were not right related with God and others. In fact, many of their rules excluded their neighbors and they didn't fulfill the love of neighbor specifically, but they also didn't love God. In fact, one of the arguments or one of the criticisms was that they loved the law more than they loved God. How do we become right with God? Well, Jesus told us at the beginning, it's through him. We become right related with God through putting our trust in him, saying, Jesus, you fulfilled it so that I didn't have to. Jesus, I allow your perfect life to step in front of mine. Jesus, I place my faith in you, my trust in you, my hope in you. And through this bizarrely simple task and through an incredibly simple prayer of just placing our faith in Jesus, we in an instant, in an instant, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, I don't care about your resume, your history, your past. No matter what, because of your faith in Jesus, you can have security that you are now rightly related with God. That there is nothing separating you from him. There is no wall of division any longer. There is freedom. There is access. As we sang earlier, before the throne, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lived and died for me. Or as Hebrews says, therefore, because we have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, we can therefore go before the throne of grace 
to receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. We have access to the Father, our Heavenly Father, because of the Son. We can know that we are rightly related with God. Why? Not because of our works, not because we have fulfilled it, but because He has fulfilled it. That in Him, in Jesus, He had made a way, a new path to the Father that no one else in humanity had ever heard before. And he said, it was me. It was me. And this is why, friends, we believe that this is faith and not religion because it is through our faith, our trust in Jesus, not our endless pursuit of trying to get it right that will make us right with the Father. This is good news this morning. Incredibly good news. And so dads, I think for many of us, on Father's Day, it's like a day where, you know, you get honored and all this kind of stuff. But it's also like sometimes it's in these moments of honoring that there's that little whisper in the back of our minds, right, about the ways in which we fail, the ways in which we've chosen to put ourselves first, the ways in which we messed up our kid, the ways in which we didn't come through. The reason this is good news for you this morning is this, dads, is that Jesus says, hey, I know you don't have it together, but I do. So put your trust in me. And that's not just true for the dads in this room. This is true for you, no matter who you are. No matter what you've done, Jesus says, I know you couldn't fulfill it. And so I did. Follow me. Follow my footsteps. And one day when you stand before the Father, all he will see is my perfect and righteous account. And for some of you say, well, it feels like a cop-out. I kind of feel like an imposter being accepted, being included, you are. That is the gospel. The gospel are people who are poor in spirit. They recognize how destitute they are. They recognize that they can never earn it or deserve it, no matter how hard they try. And because of that, they place their faith in Jesus and what was the promise for the poor in spirit? Theirs is the kingdom of God. You want to have assurance that you will enter the kingdom? Friends, it is through Jesus that we can breathe in life. It is through Jesus that we receive approval and not condemnation. It is through Jesus that we can have hope and hope beyond this life. This is the good news. This is the gospel. And we remember it as we come to the table. I'm going to invite the ushers forward. The table has two elements, bread and juice. The bread represents Jesus' body that was broken for us. The juice represents his blood that was shed for us. And these are not just religious symbols that we've just been doing for a long time, but they represent a deeply profound reality, the one that we've been speaking about this morning that Jesus died on a cross in order that you could be declared right. Jesus took the punishment that you deserved in order that you 
could be free. Jesus spilled his blood in order that you could be cleansed. So we come to the table as destitute ones, people who are poor in spirit. We receive God's grace, but as we walk away, we walk into the world as vessels of love. Vessels of love for God and vessels of love for one another. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll come to the table. God, thank you for this morning. I thank you for this incredibly, honestly, unbelievable truth. That in you, Jesus, all of the law is fulfilled, and all of the prophets. These words that formerly condemned us, now in you we hear new words that bring life to us. And so we come to you, Jesus, in faith, in full trust, saying, I can't do this on my own accord. I desperately need your help. And as we come to the table and we get that bread and we take that juice, we drink it and we eat it, it is a very simple act that declares an incredible reality that we are forgiven, that we are made right, that we are fulfilled because of you. Help us to believe this this morning, Lord. Especially I pray for the dads in this room who might be feeling rather hard on themselves. Help them as they come to the table heavy and burdened to walk away light and free. And help us to walk from the table into this world, living out the law of love. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash rail city to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the rail city campus of CA Church.